informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us here on the program as we have a, a very busy show lined up for you. A lot of topics, a lot of ground to cover. So buckle up. We are going to dive in here headfirst today on the show. Coming up, we are going to talk with Monty Shaw from the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. They have their summit coming up early in january also there's been plenty of uh, ethanol biofuels related news uh, out there here the last few days so we're going to touch on some of that with monty coming up here in segment two in segment three we're going to talk geopolitics as we wrap up the year john halsman geopolitical analyst and author will be joining us after the bottom of the hour so looking forward to a conversation with john once again here on the show then we'll wrap it up and get an update on some of the uh, trucking-related issues, speed limiters in semi-trucks and more, what impacts could be seen there. We're going to talk with Louis Pugh from OIDA coming up here at the end of the program today. We want to start, though, and take a look at what is going on in the market trade. There are some things that are still out here uh, impacting uh, the movement in the commodity and livestock markets, even though we're getting close to the holidays and kind of entering that holiday mode here for a conversation with us today. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, great to have you back on the show. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you're doing well. Doing well, Jesse. Back at you. Thanks for having me. Well, let's first start with uh, just the general tone in these markets here as we near the end of the year. I know uh, we got some transportation-related issues that, that seem to be kind of creeping up here and, and having a little bit of an impact in these markets between uh, the shipping corridor issues in the Red Sea. We got the low water levels on the Panama Canal, plus then the uh, rail closures here between the U.S. and Mexico border that have kind of propped up here or popped up here the last couple of days. And I know that's something that it's all kind of a backdrop to this thin holiday trade right now, Mike. Yeah, and it's certainly taken away my feeling that after the Federal Reserve meeting and policy shift and the, and the improved export pace to China and our better relationship there, I was wanting a Santa Claus rally for the grain markets, for the clients and subscribers, wanting a cattle rally uh, as well. And I got half that. I got the cattle rally, but not the grain rally. And I think this goes back to how you just frame what the supply chain issues they're not getting better. In fact, we're adding to the list and they're getting worse. And I think the trade has been very patient at this point, Jesse, to watch to see how things would materialize. But with this last uh, domino kind of starting to fall and create a whole new wave of, I think, momentum in, in this, as you say, lighter volume market, um, this U.S.-Mexico rail issue is extremely important. Um, because as the weekly export sales today showed for both wheat and corn, Mexico was the number one destination for both. And, and for the destinations, physical exports are showing no pullback. So we haven't done any material damage, but we know that upwards of a million bushels of grain exports could be lost each day that Eagle Pass and El Paso are shut down. And we mm -hmm. don't have a timeline when that those two rail lines are going to open back up as of this morning. So I do think it's not a black swan event because we've been monitoring it, but it's gotten worse. And I think that's where the trade's finally saying we don't have South American weather to rely upon as much. We're going to have to take some premium out of this market. And I think that's why we saw those new contract lows in March corn. Well, I have to ask, facing some of these uh, transportation logistical issues, you brought up South American weather as well. Of course, that's going to be a storyline here through the end of the year and into the beginning part of 2024. You brought up the term Santa Claus rally. You mentioned we kind of got it in cattle. In terms of the grain markets, is there one of these markets in particular that you feel like has a better chance of a Santa Claus rally here through this thin holiday trading period? Yeah, I do. And I think it's for two reasons. One, I think the soybeans have more of a weather premium built into them. And we have already seen USDA cut the production in the last WASDA report. I think USDA is back on their heels a little bit on the corn. I think there's damage done in center west Brazil. Um, Conab is a, you know 10, 11 million metric tons below 
USDA at this point for Brazil production because mostly because of Center West, Mato Grosso, Brazil. Um, I'm on board with that mindset. And I also think Ukraine is probably a couple million metric tons too high. So if we would lose eight or 10 million tons of production and not cut back the demand, corn stocks to use ratios in the world would be right there with wheat. They'd be at eight to nine year lows. And I think that's something to really watch as we go into the January crop report. So in terms of the grain markets here, I know we get to the end of the year, a lot of folks like to put pen or pencil to paper, uh, even though these markets can get kind of thin, we have, you know, we're talking about some of these news items that could drive trade here. What would you say to folks in terms of these grain markets? I would have to think we still want to be on our toes here and, and looking at our marketing plan through the end of the year and, and looking ahead to 2024, Mike. Yes, and I think this is where the soybeans sticking with them is, you know, we made that new contract low in the March corn, but we did not take out the harvest lows. However, in the soybeans, we're getting much closer to those harvest lows and that 1280, 1290 level in lead month January futures is a big number. And it does look like that the weather pattern is shifting in center West Brazil at this point. We'll know, I think, a lot more when we come back from a holiday, whether it did or not. But I think the downside could be opened up technically with or without heavy volume. And I think that's what we really want to watch out for. Profit per acre in beans is still quite attractive unless you had a real big yield hit. Okay, let's go over to livestock. Uh, cattle and hogs here both have some key reports coming up Friday after the close. Cattle on feed and quarterly hogs and pigs. Start with the cattle first. Uh, what are your thoughts heading into that report and the end of the year here in this cattle market, Mike? You know, I don't like reports that come out and the estimates are framing it this way where placements are higher than marketings. And that's what November could do to us. The placement estimates from Reuters is 96 plus on average. The marketing is 93 plus. I'd like to see both of them around 95, 96, and they offset each other so that we don't open up the door to the downside when it comes to slower marketings and more cattle essentially being placed is what those numbers would suggest when you have a high placements, low marketings number. And so that's where we've had a nice recovery in the live cattle and the feeders, thanks to the corn in part in the feeders. Um, but we, in order to get us to that next level and get us back closer to the old range of highs in both of those, I think we're going to need a bullish you know, feed the bull type cattle on feed report here at the end of the week. Hogs have been kind of depressing to watch as well. Quarterly hogs and pigs numbers coming up Friday too. Any thoughts in this hog market? Could we possibly get a report that could give us a little bit of a bounce into the end of the year, Mike? You know, I think if we saw the cat for breeding numbers go up, that would suggest that we're not liquidating and that we're holding back. That would be a very big surprise to me given what 2023 has done to us, Jesse. Um, but in, in what China's hog herd and prices have done to us as well. But I think that's the best thing you can say about the hogs and pigs report, unless we'd see marketings go over 100. The top end and on the Reuters estimates on the range is 100.6. If we'd see a 101 marketings number, that might attract some attention of bull spreading in the hogs, something we kind of desperately need at this point because of the way these markets have been acting on the spreads. Well, Mike, we're out of time. Do appreciate the insight as always. Again, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. You bet, Jesse. Thank you. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Find him online, globalcomresearch.com, globalcom with two M's, research.com. Up next, the Executive Director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, Monty Shaw, joins us here on AOA. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss.
Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A Teenager. Learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, there's been plenty of news surrounding ethanol and biofuels here just the last couple of days before we uh, wrap up the year. So we're going to talk about that. Also want to talk about an upcoming event for the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. They have a, a pretty big summit happening in early January just uh, in the Des Moines metro area. So we're going to talk about all of that and more. Joining us for a conversation here today on Agriculture of America He's the executive director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Monty Shaw is with us. Monty, great to have you on the program. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having us on. It's been a busy time. It has been a very busy time, that is for sure. I want to start with some of the news surrounding year-round E15. Uh, we've seen an EPA decision this week. They've advanced uh, this on to the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, get us up to speed. I know Iowa, of course, uh, the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds, has been one of the leaders in trying to get year-round E15 for uh, Midwestern states. Uh, what's the latest we're hearing surrounding uh, this issue for year-round E15, Monty? Yeah, you know, this saga started so long ago, I can't even hardly remember. I mean, I think I think not quite two, two years ago, um, eight Midwest governors uh, frustrated by the courts throwing out the year-round E15 that the EPA tried to authorize, um, exercise some powers under the Clean Air Act that they're given to authorize it a different way in, in their states. Um, under the law, uh, it's very clear that the EPA has to act upon those requests within 90 days. Well, we're over 500 days after that deadline to act, and we're still waiting. There was some movement, as you mentioned, uh, the draft rule, which has been sitting at EPA after their public comment period for months and months and months, finally went to the White House where they do the interagency review. Um, so that's that's I, potentially good news. I mean, they could pop it out by the end of the year. It could be the draft rule as it was as it was you know put out for public comment, and and you know let's move forward. Um, now that doesn't mean the battle will be over. The old guys will sue and everything else, but but at least we'd have a decision. Um, but there's no guarantee of that. It could sit at OMB for months. They could send it back to um, they could send it back to the EPA, or they could even uh, try to finalize a rule that uh, is modified from the draft rule and delayed. We've heard that rumor too. So um, I'm very glad to see the movement. I hope it means good things are coming. But uh, I'm not ready to uh, assume what's in the, in that Christmas package under the tree just yet. If you know what I mean. 
Yeah, I agree with you there. You brought up just how long this has taken, this entire process. And I, I think at this point, Monty, I think a lot of folks, you know, we are hopeful that this can happen and we can get year-round E15. It would be nice to just get some certainty and, and try and get this done because I, I know we've talked about this quite a bit, the benefits to E15. I mean, they've been shown, they've been proven. It, it just feels like it's time to get this done, Monty. Yeah, I mean, retailers uh, who have not offered it in the past, you know, they're sitting on the sidelines and it's hard to blame them, you know, when they don't, you know, they don't want to sell a fuel eight and a half months out of the year and then not know what to do with that pump the rest of the time. So um, when we did have a, a moment of certainty uh, after the Trump EPA had, EPA had approved E15 year round um, and before the courts had thrown it out, we saw a massive movement by retailers, major retailers adopting E15. It's cheaper, it's cleaner. Um, it works in all their cars. Customers wanted it. I mean, if, if, you're, if your competitor across the street put it in and you didn't, you were in deep trouble. Um, but then we've been in this limbo. And it's just really sad because uh, the Iowa and Nebraska attorneys general have even sued the EPA to compel them to finish the rule. And, uh, in, in, you know, in essence, defending the rights of their governors under the Clean Air Act, which I think might tell us why the EPA is finally moving, is that court case is coming to a close. Um, but but it's... It, it, when in defending their actions, they did. They basically said yes. The governors had the right to ask for this. Yes, they did everything they were supposed to do. Yes, we were supposed to respond within 90 days, but we didn't. So give us another year. And it, it, it's just like I want to beat my head against the wall. This is not a matter of science or law. This is pure politics. Someone in the White House doesn't want this to go forward, um, and and it's just frustrating because. You know, I'm old enough to remember when when administrations used to feel the constitutional obligation to enforce the law, whether they might have agreed with it or not. If it's the law of the land, it should be enforced. And this is this is a, a gross uh, dereliction of that duty when it comes to responding to the, the governor's requests. We're talking with the executive director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, Monty Shaw, here today on AOA. Monty, I know uh, we got some news on the sustainable aviation fuel front uh, as we think about, you know, corn ethanol being part of that conversation and other biofuels. Uh, Treasury has said they are going to use a, a modified version of the GREET model to determine some of these tax credits under the Inflation Reduction Act. Do you consider that to be a, a bit of a win for sustainable aviation fuel? That was certainly welcome news. Um, the GREET model, let's remember, is the world's most accurate model for determining carbon intensity of fuels. Uh, the other model that's, that was specifically in the law and that was pushed by some of the more anti-ag environmental groups and Europeans is it's it's ironically you know it's talked about like it's a different model it's really not a different model it's the greet model at the heart of it but they they have played politics with it over in europe to where they froze the data about 13 years ago when there were some very you know first of all out of date productivity data for both for both farmers and ethanol and biodiesel producers and whatnot but also some really bad uh, assumptions on i don't really want to get into it but the, the whole thing called indirect land use change the bigger point here is the European model has been has been played politics with where they they cherry pick the data that they wanted to put into the model to give results that unfairly discriminate against ag products, you know, SAF, uh, sustainable aviation fuel that would come from soybeans or come from corn through various processes. And so they're the ones playing politics. The Greek model has the most up to date science and data in it. And that's what, what, what we're pushing for. And we're not alone in this. You know, a lot of people are trying to say, oh, you know, this is a favor for biofuels. No, I mean, basically everybody recognizes greed as the gold standard, except the people who don't like the fact that agriculture does well under it because agriculture has become very efficient and very low carbon. And so, you know, the oil industry agrees with greed. The airlines ag agree with greed. We do agriculture. So it's really just the people who want to play politics who are trying to push back on that. Now, they said they're going to use it. We haven't seen the mod what they mean by modified yet. Um, USDA, Tom Vilsack says we're going to like it. He's working at all the updated uh, data from USDA into it. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic on this one, um, mm -hmm. but we do need to see the devil in the details. 
Monty, I want to give us uh, just a minute or two here as well before we run out of time in this segment to talk about the uh, Iowa Renewable Fuels Summit coming up January 11th uh, in Altoona, Iowa, just uh, in the Des Moines metro there at Prairie Meadows uh, Racetrack and Casino. You guys have a, a really great lineup here for the summit, and I know folks can get registered for that online right now. Talk about this year's summit and what folks can expect. Yeah, I can't remember this is our 16th or 17th one, but here's the here's the number one thing. This is free and open to the public. All you have to do is register. IowaRenewableFuelsSummit.org. IowaRenewableFuelsSummit.org. You go there, you register. It costs you nothing. So if you come and learn nothing, it was still worth your money. But instead, it is a one day it is a one day summit, and it is chock full of of really cool topics and really world class speakers. I'm really proud of the staff that put it together this year. Uh, Emily Score with Growth Energy is going to give our industry keynote. We just landed the most the most sought after expert on terrorism in the Middle East, Dr. Max Abrams. He's going to come in and talk to us about what's going on in the Middle East, how that might impact energy, oil, all that stuff that also, you know, so it's a very fascinating topic on one hand, but also has direct implications to our business in the energy world. But we're going to be talking about the big issues that are disrupting agriculture right now. The massive expansion of the soybean crush uh, complex in the United States is going to have ripple effects throughout our country, global trade, you name it. We're going to have a panel with huge experts on sustainable aviation fuel that we just talked about and look at that. Um, these are These are speakers uh, we're also going to have a panel, uh, by the way, what's going on in Brazil. I think I think too many of our farmers and farm leaders are not realizing that Brazil has finally woken up on the corn side and the ethanol side and is trying to do to us in corn, the corn world, what they did back in the 1990s in the soybean world. You know, we've been thinking it might happen for 40 years. It looks like it's actually happening. We're going to have experts in to talk about that and many other things, probably some presidential candidates. We'll see. But if you go and look at our speakers, they might not be household names, but if you dig into them, these are some of the best speakers that could speak at, at any at any event anywhere in the world and be, would be respected experts. Mm -hmm. So January 11th, just outside Des Moines, register, it's free, and you're going to get a world-class uh, education on all the big issues facing biofuels and agriculture. Iowa Renewable Fuels Summit .org is where you can register again for free for the upcoming summit on January 11th with the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. We've been talking with their executive director, Monty Shaw, here today on Agriculture of America. Monty, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for joining us. We'll look forward to having you back on the show again in the future. Appreciate the time. Yeah, Merry Christmas, and we'll see a lot of you on January 11th. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to have a conversation about what's happening with geopolitics in the world and more. We will talk with author John Halsman. That's next on AOA. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Let's take a look at what's happening in the market trade here on AOA for this Thursday. Jesse Allen with you. As we look at the uh, market action, it's pretty mixed. Soybeans finding a little bit of pressure here as we work through Thursday's uh, early rounds, while corn is largely hanging around unchanged. Wheat has been trading just a little bit higher. Cattle and hogs, kind of a mixed bag there. We started higher in both, and we're kind of just teetering either side of unchanged here in both cattle and hogs. Weekly export sales and shipments looked pretty good, especially for soybeans as we got higher shipments uh, there. An increase of 73.1 million bushels of soybean export sales for the 23-24 marketing year announced on Thursday morning. 
as largely though uh, a lot of traders are already getting into holiday mode and a lot of traders are just keeping an eye on South American weather here for this soybean market and so that's going to be uh, the really the main driver outside of a black swan type event that comes into these markets here. Things look pretty thin and volume looks pretty low here across the board. That's probably going to be the case here as we go into the weekend and through much of next week. The Dow Jones trading a bit higher up uh, almost 300 points on Thursday morning, 37,722 at last check. NASDAQ's up about 140, S&P futures up 36. Crude oil's kind of quiet down 42 cents a barrel at last check, 73.80. In the meantime, as I mentioned again, soybeans and products finding a bit of pressure while corn and wheat are mixed. March corn, for instance, up two at last check, 471 and three quarters. Bean trade, though, mainly seven lower in soybeans with bean meal and bean oil down moderately. Uh, all three wheats unchanged to about four higher with a little more strength in Chicago wheat on Thursday morning. Mixed activity again in cattle and hog trade overall. Markets just largely entering their holiday mode. Things looking relatively thin and quiet here today. That's checking the markets here on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Teachers are dynamic leaders, shaping a new generation. They bring a variety of perspectives from diverse backgrounds, innovating how they teach to prepare students for our fast-changing world. Achieving this takes skill and expertise. They're tireless explorers, creatively discovering a universe of solutions, telling stories, experimenting, inspiring, mentoring, connecting cultures, and connecting with each other. Leading by example. Experience the unique joy of helping students thrive. Teaching is a journey that shapes lives. Are you ready to begin? Explore teaching at teach.org. A campaign supported by the U.S. Department of Education, teach.org, and one million teachers of color. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, his new book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, is available here in just a uh, few short weeks' time. It will be available on January 10th. It is up for pre-order right now on Amazon. And he is, uh, I will say this, he's quickly become one of my favorite conversations here on AOA when he joins us uh, every so often. Joining us now, geopolitical strategist and author John Halsman is with us. John, it's great to have you back on the show. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Appreciate the time. Listen, Jesse, thank you so much for the shameless plug and Merry Christmas right back. Well, I want to I want to keep the shameless plug up for just a second, and I want to talk about your book here because uh, I know we've touched on this uh, the last few times you've been on, and uh, uh, looking forward to seeing the book uh, available here and in people's hands in just a few short weeks. The Last Best Hope: A History of American Realism. Can you give us a, a little bit of a background on the book and what folks can expect when they read it? Yes, I mean I've written fourteen now, and whether I write fourteen or fifteen, nobody but my grandmother might care about. But the reason I took time to write another book was to get a positive agenda for where we go from here. We spend our time talking about crises, but this is a book for what America should do to protect its citizens for the new era we live in. Looking back at our history to go forward from a Beatles point of view, it's get back. What did Washington, Lincoln, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Eisenhower, Reagan? the Kennedy brothers, what did they do right? They were all realists and we should go back to this philosophy of how to run a foreign policy of Americans and by Americans. And so the book is an effort to take us forward for the next generation. Well, again, uh, it's available January 10th and you can go to Amazon to uh, find a pre-order of it as well. Again, uh, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism. John, uh, it, when you bring up some of those thoughts with the book here, and we kind of think about just the state of world politics and more as we round out 2023 and look ahead to 2024. You know, it's uh, it feels like I mentioned this during the commercial break when we were chatting. It feels like there's something new every day uh, between wars and elections and much more. That global landscape continues to just kind of change day in and day out, doesn't it, John? It does, Jesse. And and 
because everything seems to be on fire, it's exactly the time for realism. What realism does well is separate what's vital for Americans, what on a nice day we'd like to have happen, and what doesn't matter very much. If you love everything, you love nothing. And so it looks, the book looks, it takes us up to the present day and says, if you follow this old philosophy that I believe in, how would you deal with the crises of today? I mean, it's an operational, actionable ending to the book. And it looks at things as far afield as the war with Gaza, a lot about Ukraine and a lot about our competition with China. What of this is vital? As you know, I think it's the Indo-Pacific and China. What of this is peripheral, Ukraine? And what's somewhere in the middle? And that would be Gaza. And then we go into detail as to why. But the key is not to lump this stuff together like an early Connery Bond film where Spectre is behind every evil thing going on in the world, but to separate them, to see the complexity and see how each of these things affects Americans and then to proceed accordingly. I think in terms of the Gaza situation, because that is, uh, of course, uh, exploded here since we last talked, um, that's having a lot of impacts on global trade flows, I know, as well, and which in turn affects, you know, farmers and ranchers here in the U.S. and really folks around the world with the, with the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. But that situation feels like that is a it's a it's a humanitarian travesty what is going on over there, first off, but in just terms of the powder keg that has been lit there, that feels like a very scary situation to me in the Middle East, John. It is. The two things to watch, the two canaries in the coal mine that are a sign that it's getting out of control. As long as the war is localized in Gaza, it's not. But if Hezbollah in, in Lebanon and Israel start in a meaningful way fighting around the Latani River in the south of Lebanon, that's a sign it's gotten out of control because Hezbollah is very closely tied to Iran, far more closely tied to Iran than is Hamas. And then you mentioned the other one, which is geoeconomic and affects us all, and particularly the folks who listen to our, our show. Uh, the price of energy is dependent on the Red Sea. Yemen is a client, or the Houthis, the, re the, the rebellious people shooting into the Red Sea at the strait at the bottom in Yemen of the Red Sea. If this gets out of control and they aren't swept aside, we've heard BP say, well, we'll have to go around to Africa instead of through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. This adds weeks to timing, will really lead to a vast inflation in price. And that's why the United States is scrambling with allies such as the British, Sundance to Arbutch Cassidy as always, to try to, to tell the Houthis, if you fire back, we're gonna have to take you out because we can't allow the strait to be shut. So those are the two things to keep your eye on. As far as U.S.-China relations, uh, we know that they are pretty dicey at this point in time, John. And uh, we, we saw a meeting here a few months back between President Xi and President Biden. It, it didn't feel like to me that that meeting really yielded much of anything. I know there's the Thai, or the Taiwan issue, of course. Uh, there's, there's a lot here. What's in your opinion, as we near the end of the year, what's the current state of U.S.-China relations? It feels like they're still not very good. Oh, no, it didn't resolve anything. The only good thing to say is that we have to regularly talk to our enemies. So that's another realist view, by the way, that foreign policy isn't just working with the Canadians, that occasionally we have to talk as Nixon went to China. We have to talk to some very bad people. China is the other dominant power in the world, our peer competitor superpower. We should talk to them regularly. And literally, the new military staff in China, the new elite, were not returning our phone calls. So the fact that Biden met with Xi is important that we just have constant discussions about what goes on so things don't get out of hand. But what we've learned in just the last couple of days is that she said forthrightly to Biden what he said many times before, but to the president's face, we are going to retake Taiwan. There is no timetable. We'd like to do it peacefully, but don't doubt that we are going to take it back. And that is very blunt conversation and ties into everything we've been saying, Jesse, on the show for the last three or four months. Yeah, very, very true. Again, uh, we're talking with author, geopolitical strategist John Halsman. His new book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, is uh, available for pre-order right now and will be available uh, on January 10th. John, uh, I know as well, tied in with everything going on around the world, we got uh, a presidential election coming up here in the U.S. in 2024. It's already starting to kind of get into that silly season for lack of a better term here as we figure out who the candidates are all going to be uh we've had other elections around the world too that i know a lot of eyes have been on i think argentina and javier malay things like that as you look at 
the overall election season that is here and in front of us, is there anything you're watching closely there, John? You've mentioned the two that really interest me, Jesse. Malay is fascinating because there's been 80 years of statism in Argentina, Peronism, and it's it's taken a country with every conceivable resource and made it a basket case. If you want an argument as to why socialism doesn't work, have a look at Venezuela and Argentina, who by rights ought to be two of the richest countries in the world. And in fact, in 1900, Argentina was the eighth richest country in the world, and now it defaults on its loans pretty regularly. Malay comes in as a libertarian and says, shock therapy, we're going to devalue the peso, eventually we want to dollarize, we're going to cut red tape, and we're going to try to start the engine. And as a petri dish to watch, does capitalism revive even the worst of situations? I'm fascinated by what he's doing and if the people of Argentina can deal with the shock therapy coming. And then, of course, their own election. You, we would be remiss not to say that what goes on in the most powerful country in the world by far still doesn't matter with two very different governing philosophies for the likely two candidates, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, then of course the Colorado ruling of just the other day. And let me just say about that, I'm a believer in a Jeffersonian sense of democracy. You don't, as we said in Vietnam when it made no sense, you don't, just, you don't bomb the village in order to save it. You don't protect democracy by lessening democracy. Let's let the people decide if Donald Trump is fit to be president or Joe Biden is fit to be president. I've always believed in the American people and I continue to do so. But this is the pivotal election of the next year and really will set our course on two really radically different roads, a Wilsonian road or a more realist road. And we'll find out. And I'm sure we'll be talking about this an awful lot as we move from the silly season after the holidays into Iowa, New Hampshire and then Super Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great thoughts and perspective. John, before we wrap it up here today, we got about uh, a minute or so. Any final thoughts uh, for folks to uh, remember here as we wrap up the year, as we look at the uh, world of geopolitics or anything you want to reiterate to folks today? I would. I would just say that we always talk about risk, but there are an awful lot of rewards out there. If you look at the state of India, for instance, which is now growing at 8%, the world's most populous democracy is booming. And this is a market that's going to grow and grow and grow in the next generation. This is very good news indeed. The fact that, that the Ukraine war has thrown the United States and Europe back together to talk about geostrategy, this is very good news indeed. And the fact that we have the genius of the private sector in the United States, which can continues to, despite all the shenanigans in Washington, power us along. This is very good news indeed. It isn't all doom and gloom. There are an awful lot of opportunities out there too. Well, again, uh, his new book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, is available for pre-order right now. It will be available in hands on January 10th. And I know I'll uh, post a link to Amazon if uh, anyone wants to pre-order that. We'll get that uh, shared on the AOA social media accounts, Facebook and X, et cetera. And uh, really do appreciate uh, the time and a conversation. John, thanks for joining us here. As always, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. We'll look forward to uh, catching up with you in 2024, John. Merry Christmas, Jesse, and can't wait to see us all back in the new year. John Halsman, author and geopolitical strategist, joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. And again, uh, shameless plug, that new book, uh, I'm definitely got to pick myself up a copy and uh, and read that, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism. And like I said, I'll share the links on the AOA social media as well uh, if you wish to pick up a copy too. All right, coming up next, we are going to have a conversation about some of the uh, trucking regulations that are out there and pending and, and where things stand as we near the end of the year. We're going to talk with Louis Pugh from Oida, the owner-operator Independent Drivers Association. He will join us next year as we continue on AOA, Agriculture of America. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When Dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting at homes across the country, and tragically, 
more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You can't escape a traffic jam. Know what else you can't escape? Seasonal allergies. And you might think you can avoid that coffee stain until... Oh, really? You can't escape a lot of things in life. But you can escape prediabetes. Prediabetes captures one in three adults. There are usually no signs of prediabetes. In fact, most people don't even know they have it. But with early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Take action by taking the one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. You might not be able to escape having this song stuck in your head. But you can escape prediabetes. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Lauren Bucci, a talent acquisition manager with CHS, about employment and internship opportunities in agriculture. Lauren, what career opportunities are available in agriculture and what skills are important to possess? There are really no shortage of opportunities available in the agriculture industry. And here at CHS, opportunities span across a number of different teams and divisions. We have opportunities that support operations in the field, such as working with farmers and growers, roles that support our refineries. And we have countless opportunities at our headquarters here in Invergrove Heights, Minnesota. Those include supply chain, finance, IT, and human resources, just to name a few. In terms of skills that we would look for for future employees, we certainly are looking for someone that has a passion for what it is that they do. But we're also looking for individuals that embody our values of integrity, safety, inclusion, as well as cooperative spirit. Now, is a farming background critical for careers in agriculture? It is not required to have a background in farming. However, many of our roles may look for previous experience in agronomy or related fields, but we have a lot of opportunities across other teams where they're not directly related to farming. I would say as someone myself who does not come from a farming background, I can say with experience that it's a very welcoming industry. What internship opportunities are available at CHS? If there's a full-time opportunity that we offer, there's probably a related internship that you could secure as well. Where can we learn more about internships and career opportunities at CHS? Our career site is going to be the best place to go. If you visit jobs.chsinc.com, you can learn everything that you want to know about both full-time and internship opportunities. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we continue here today on AOA, we want an update on some of the legislation that has been proposed that would put speed limiters in semi-trucks and what impacts that could have for not only agriculture, but uh, everyone across the country, our supply chains in general. There's been 
a lot of news here this year on this issue, and we've been staying up to date with it with our friends at OIDA, the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. Joining us now to get us up to date on what's happening, Louis Pugh with OIDA is with us. Louis, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's great to talk to you, my friend, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you and yours as well, Louie. Well, I know uh, here just uh, earlier this month, I believe, we had a, a fairly big hearing uh, with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Uh, anything uh, update for us? Anything come out of that hearing in terms of uh, the issues that you and I have been talking about with these speed limiters and semi-trucks? Yeah, it was a great hearing, actually, if you're us. You and I and others and farmers and truckers and everybody out there because it was mainly supposed to be a hearing just on the agencies updating what they've been doing and all the great work they, they, they say they've been doing and or they think they've been doing. And it actually pretty much turned into a kind of a speed limiter hearing. Um, lots and lots of questions got thrown at Administrator Hutchison, the administrator of the uh, – Federal Motor Carriers Association, which that's who oversees trucking out of DOT, of why they're doing this, why they're not listening to truckers, why they think this is going to be safer. Uh, members of Congress, uh, they don't like it. They're not happy about it. And they had no problem calling her on the carpet for it. Well, I know you and I have talked about this, Louie, just the impacts it could have to the supply chain. I mean, if we slow things down, uh, we're looking at billions of dollars of impact here on supply chains, but also too, I know some folks and they may argue and say, well, you know, if we slow trucks down to be safer, but that's not necessarily the case. Is it Louie? No, it's not necessarily the case at all. I mean, it's been proven time and time again that all traffic moving the same speed is the safest or roughly the same speed. You know, there's gonna, there could be up to 20-mile-per-hour differences in the speed of cars and trucks on the highway. It also, unfortunately, sometimes, if because we, we, there's already fleets out there that use this as a driver management tool, and, and it's proven because they still get speed tickets to drivers and stuff. So what we see is happening is they drive faster in places they normally wouldn't, which is two-lane roads, rural roads and sometimes construction zones, which isn't good as well. Creates a lot more rear-end collisions, a lot more aggravated drivers. At the end of the day, a 10-mile-per-hour speed limit difference between cars and trucks causes 227% higher um, interactions between the cars and the trucks. And we all know that's how we have accidents is interactions between two vehicles. So why would we want to increase that by over 200%? I think another thing here too, Louie, you could talk about this, uh, just for agriculture, for farmers and ranchers, you know, that may only hop into uh, the cab of a semi during harvest season, for instance. Uh, I wonder about, you know, if something like this speed limiter rule would go through, what about some of those costs that truckers would incur or the average farmer when they got to put all this stuff into the cab of their semi truck? I mean, I, I know that could be a, a pretty big issue as well, Louie. You're correct. There's expense to go to all these things. In trucking, farming, all these kind of things, everybody thinks, well, they'll get some sort of grant. Trucking never gets grants or money like that for the trucks. All this stuff will be put on the cost of the owner of the vehicle. And you're correct. There's lots of farmers out there that own trucks. They use them a couple times a year, harvest time, planting time. They don't really use them much other, maybe to haul some cattle to market once in a while. And, yeah, they're going to have to incur an added cost on their equipment, just like the truckers who drive here every day. And they're not going to get that back. They're going to be less productive. It's going to cost them money up front, and it's going to cost them money in the long run because they're just not going to be able to haul and do as much as they could before, which that's another thing to talk about. If we slow all these trucks down, it's going to take more trucks to supply what we need, which will put more trucks out here on the highway, create more congestion, which is another thing we don't need. We definitely don't need that. Louie, in terms of uh, wrapping up the end of the year and, and looking to 2024, I know this is an issue that uh, we're going to have to uh, continue to watch and folks are going to have to speak up about kind of that grassroots engagement, so to speak. 
if folks want to get involved, have their voice heard, stay up to date on the issues here surrounding speed limiters and trucks and more, uh, what's going to be the, the best ways for folks to uh, get involved or stay involved, Louie? Uh, you reaching out to your lawmakers as much as you can. Like I said, there's already a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of congressmen on Capitol Hill. We saw that last week in the hearing. Um, the best thing to do if, is call your lawmaker, tell them to support H.R. 3039 or Senate Bill 671. Those are the Drive Act. And if you can't remember that, just go to fightingfortruckers.com. It's real easy. That's the OIDA website. And all the information's there as well. You can actually contact your lawmaker. But, you know, trucking has a direct effect with agriculture because not only do they bring the supplies and haul the goods for the farmers, but farmers have trucks themselves. So this is something that rural Americans need to be on the phones with, calling about farmers. And anyone else out there who's listening just drives the highways because this is going to affect all our highway safety. Good thoughts. And again, that website, fightingfortruckers.com, fightingfortruckers.com. You can find more information. And we've been talking with the Executive Vice President of the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, OIDA, Louie Pugh. Louie, always appreciate you uh, jumping on AOA with us and uh, keeping us up to date on uh, these issues and more. I'll wish you again a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, Louie. Thanks so much, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in 2024. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas to all the farmers and truckers and everybody out there listening. And Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Louis Pugh with OIDA joining us here today on AOA. We're out of time. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to touch on some of the rail transportation issues between the U.S. and Mexico border with Mike Seifert from NGFA. We'll get to all that and more coming up here tomorrow on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen, but you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind to know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org.